Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Welcome to the podcast. We're pleased to have with us today Audrey Zibelman, who's the CEO of the Australian Energy Market Operator and former chair of the New York Public Service Commission. In Australia today, she oversees electric and the gas markets. And in New York, she helped write the RIV, a major market reform and transformation of, of electricity. She's one of the foremost experts in the world on where the electric sector is headed and where utility energy policy should be headed. We're thrilled to have her with us today. So how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Audrey, we'd like to ask you to start off by talking a little bit about your current assignment. So um, IEMA was formed in uh, about 10 years ago, actually, and it was when the uh, Australian liberalized the its power markets and, and also... Um, uh, so, uh, um, commercialize their assets. Previously to that, much like much of Europe, the ass- all of the uh, resources were owned by the government, and uh, the government decided to actually sell off the mark the the generation assets, as well as the distribution and transmission. Various governments have kept them as publicly owned, but in any event, it was at that time the markets were formed. So, EMO was formed at that time and operates. Uh, actually across the country. Australia is a bit different than the U.S., even though the geographic size of Australia is uh, roughly the same as the lower 48. The um, Most people live along the coast, uh, like 80 to 90 percent of the population is along the coast because the middle of the country is largely desert. So it's a, it's a very different system. We operate uh, the system called the National Energy Market, which is uh, actually includes five states from Queensland down to Tasmania. And then we also, and it's a separate interconnection, we also operate the Southwest Interconnected System, which is in Western Australia, and they're not, they're not at all connected. So you, you probably uh, remember the Joni Mitchell song, Both Sides Now. So, yeah. so you've looked at electricity from both sides of the Pacific. Both sides of the what common threads uh, emerge in your mind? What what things, um, what lessons are you learning that you think might be relevant in the United States? Yeah, well, there are a few, and and um, sorry for my long-winded message early today, early this morning. Uh, you know, Australia is the um, well. First of all, we operate both the electric and gas markets. So, and I'm finding having been at PJM that having visibility into the gas markets is actually quite an advantage to us. And so that, I would say, that's a really important lesson learned as we start thinking about sector coupling. Uh, the more you're able to manage these under a common approach, the easier it is to manage and the easier it is to actually have integrated support of various sectors. So that's, that's probably a good, good lesson learned. I know it was always a struggle. Uh, it can be a struggle in the, in the markets in the U.S. because they're just electric and not don't involve gas, even though we're increasingly dependent on natural gas. The the other piece 
um, I think is just simply the from what's going on in Australia. It's just the technical challenges. We um, the power the grid in the eastern part of the U.S. is 5,000 kilometers long. It's probably the longest single system, but the fact of the matter is Australia's uh, growth in renewables in terms of how rapidly they're coming on and uh, also the impact of coal retirement is, is really getting us to get the first uh, first uh, row seat into the technical challenges associated with going from a synchronized to an asynchronized system and relying on electronics as opposed to motors. And that that is sort of recognizing how quickly that can change on you. So having a plan uh, and really thinking through how you're going to manage the transition is, is really critical. It's not as if you don't, you don't want it to occur. It's just recognizing their technical challenges. And I think I know in talking to my colleagues in California ISO, very similar to, to the types of things they think about, we think about. Uh, having respect for the engineering challenges is, is very critical. So among the challenges that, that you've had were a string of blackouts in southern Australia. How is that faring right now? What, what were the causes of that, and what have the fixes been? Well, it wasn't a string. It was a single system black, and we had a major storm come through, and it knocked down a number of uh, tr- transmission towers. The, the what the, and, and also affected a major interconnector between South Australia and uh, Victoria. The, the thing that, you know, nothing different terribly than what the U.S. learned in the 2003 blackout system black event that occurred in Ohio and affected the Northeast. Nothing very different than we learned in Minnesota when we had straight line winds come in and uh, knock out a portion of, of, the, of our region. So, you know, these are all lessons learned and industry learns. But the, the one thing that we did learn from there is that the um, wind uh, system, the wind farms had certain controls on them, and they had been adjusted not to, to in a way that um, caused them to trip off, then they probably didn't have to. But that's, that's nothing um, heroic. I mean, things, people learn things out of every system black. And that was, it was a major storm. So I think that there's, a misunderstanding to think that was created by renewables. It wasn't created by renewables. It was created by a, a climatic event. Mm-hmm. The, the prices in Australia historically have been almost double the U.S. and Canada. What What's the root cause of that, and is, it, is that perceived as a problem? Yes. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that are going on. One is, you know, as you know, in, in, in the U.S., we have a great deal of availability of uh, low-cost natural gas. So that will change the fuel mix relative to Australia. Australia has, even though we're one of the largest exporters of LNG, the um, cost of extraction here is is much more than it is in the U.S., so that's affecting the price of gas here. The the other thing is simply uh, the market design here was an energy market design, and I think what was which is based on scarcity type pricing to attract new investments and the challenge we have is in the absence of no capacity market is when we've had coal retirement which we've had the um, price spikes while high we're, um, we're not are not drawing in the types of dispatchable resources we need 
So as a result, what we're finding is is that energy only, since uh, renewables can produce energy, obviously, at zero marginal cost, that the market needs to be supplemented with t- different types of essential services that for firming and <clears throat> the types of services we need to manage the power system. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue in the U.S. because most of the markets have those types of services built in, even though, our, for example, ERCOT's an energy-only market like ours. It has other types of markets, such as ramping markets, et cetera. So I don't, I don't particularly think of that as a... Uh, and a phenomena where, where the U.S. can learn from Australia. That's one probably where Australia can learn from the U.S. around uh, how to how to add to the markets it already has. So when you came into this job roughly two and a half years ago, did you have any, any marching orders of getting prices down or allow for the grid to evolve to accommodate more renewables? What What were your central objectives that you were hired to achieve? Well, I think it was a recognition when I came in that the cha- there were substantial challenges in terms of managing the transition and that I was uh, hired to help provide a, uh, a stronger strategic di- direction. I'm not the regulator. I'm the system operator, but I'm obviously, uh, as the only system operator in the country, we obviously have a significant aspect in terms of role to play in helping define how the markets can move forward. I think as I've uh, lived here, what I've appreciated is, one, is is that the pace of change here is just so much faster than the U.S., I think partly because of the size of the country, but also because of the climate. The, the thing that's what's fascinating about Australia right now, and it's probably going to be where we are leading, is, in, is in fact in understanding some of the technical challenges associated with integration of renewables. And the other piece is that uh, is in terms of rooftop solar we have, um, in parts of our country, uh, Western Australia and Southern Australia, rooftop solar now represents the single largest source of, of power, and which means that when the sun's not shining and we have clouds coming over, we're seeing the system move in a, in a very a significant way because of the changes in demand. So the need to integrate DER, the distributed resources, and very much the way we were talking about New York around REV, is a, is a really critical need in order for us to manage the system. So it's quickly moving to a more distributed system. And uh, that using that as a capability as opposed to a problem is, for me, a very much a front-of-mind front issue. So with the speed of change being faster in Australia, are you learning lessons that you think at, at some point you'd like to bring back to the United States in possibly um, help speed along the, the pace of change here? Well, I, I think the, what's happening in Australia in terms of uh, the pace of change, it, it's really uh, that we are a lucky country in terms of the climate. And so we have these advantages. I think there are aspects, parts in the U.S. that actually have similar advantages, which probably could be uh, a good place for us to work with. And we do actually work uh, even though we're a little bit far away. You know, we're part of various groups where there are shared learning, so we, we do have an opportunity to do that right now. I think the most important thing to me is to is that uh, if I were back in the U.S., is actually the importance, and this is maybe what Australia's done, is underscored my experience in New York, 
is that it's not, it's not the technical issues. The technical issues can be solved. What we need to do is recognize that with the speed of this transformation and how quickly it changes and how the scale of the change, we, we need to be uh, uh, prepared to adapt our, our regulatory conventions as well as our market conventions in a way that is not just a, a sort of incremental change, but recognizing there's a step difference. This is no longer a, a, situ- a situation of pricing a commodity because we have so much zero marginal cost resources. It actually is the, the industry itself is quickly becoming a services type industry where we have to really pay for services such as inertia and frequency and voltage and firming. It's very different than we've done previously. And the challenge is, of course, the transition. Once we have a new technology base, it's easy to deal with. But it's when you're getting out of one technology base and adding in another that you need that type of regulatory market insight to, to be able to adapt to both. And I find, and, I, and as I've watched the press in the U.S., and certainly the situation here, trying to harness that and stay focused on the critical issues and, and agree that these are, you know, electrons are not are amoral and they obey the laws of physics, not, not particular politics or economics, and, and actually willingness to, to make the changes necessary to uh, make the system continue to make the system work in an efficient way is, is a critical learning. That's what we try to do in REV. Uh, in New York, we really wanted to focus on uh, how to change the system to deal with the changing dynamic of the technology, the regulatory system. And I, I find uh, when I look at the debates in the U.S., while there's some understanding of it, I think that the um, fact that there's still so many politics involved is going to create challenges. So what, what about the uh, customer-facing side of this? According to the last figures I could, could dig out, Roughly six and a half million of Australia's 10 million households and small businesses have customer choice. Does that make for a more informed public than you see in the United States? Well, the, the people in, the, you, in Australia, because of the issues that they always enjoyed low prices and now are, are seeing much higher prices, are much more aware. I mean, unfortunately, you know, when we... Um, in the U.S., you know, we, all the regional transmission operators uh, produce an annual plan about what's going on in the summer. For the most part, those are largely ignored, except in the industry press, maybe a little bit more in Texas now. In Australia, it's um, front-page news and all the national papers when we publish a report on summer readiness. And, and so I think, un- unfortunately, actually, the public here is hyper-aware of energy issues because it's become a very big front page news. And I think, and you know, one of my goals before I leave is to get it back to being very boring because I, I think essential services should be largely boring for the, for the mass public. The thing that is happening in Australia though is with so many people, I mean, to, right now in um, Perth in Western Australia, one in three uh, households have rooftop solar and Basically, what we're, um, our calculation is we're adding six panels every minute in Australia. So it's a phenomenal growth change. And in many ways, putting solar on your roof now is as common as putting a car in your garage. And that, that is 
type of of, of change means that people in, in Australia do see energy as something that they're much more aware of. Um, you know, huge amount of pool pumps, pools in Australia. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of resources around managing uh, efficient management of cool pumps and as a demand resource. So those types of things are almost naturally happening. Take a minute, uh, and you mentioned you monitor the press. I'm sure uh, you're still well connected uh, with New York State. How do you think Rev has been rolling out, and uh, any disappointments there, or is everything pretty much what you expected would be happening? I, I actually am not that connected to New York State, so I really couldn't comment on it. I mean, I, I see what's in the press, um, and I certainly uh, see the governor's plans around uh, emission reductions and um, offshore winds, and those, all, all those things are very, very excited, exciting. I, so it's, I can't tell you in terms of Rev itself. I haven't really talked to anyone for a while about it. So let me just tick off a, a few uh, objectives. Seventy percent of New York electricity should be renewable by 2030. Uh, an 85 percent cut in greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Nine gigawatts of offshore wind, six gigawatts of solar, three gigawatts of uh, storage. Is that comparable to what you're seeing in Australia? Or you think that stuff is coming on faster in Australia? Well, I think it, it is. It is actually comparable. I mean, I, again, I, it's hard to probably be bit. I think there's a bit more in Australia than there there is there, and it's going to be in New York. I think the issue in New York, of course, is um, to, to in order for them to accomplish that, they're going to they're going to have to look at hydro. I would expect from Canada. I don't see how that's going to happen without it, because of even with the offshore wind coming in, uh, there's got to be issues in terms of uh, the amount of wind and solar potential onshore. In, us, in New York without without uh, more hydro from Canada, but I don't know. I've, again, I've not been part of these discussions. How much longer do you think you'll be in Australia? You said you have an objective. Uh, when do you hope to achieve it by? Well, you know, I, I don't have an end to, to my uh, time here. I, I have certainly have uh, given my where I am in my uh, life. I would like to be in a position um, where I don't work too much longer because I want to spend time with my children and grandchildren, but that really remains to be seen. When you reflect on what you've done in New York State and what you're now doing in Australia, what what are, are some of the things that are top of mind that you think um, people in the industry should pay attention to? I think the first thing we have to pay attention to is um, the, the the speed of change. I, I think that this industry, you know, when, when I was first started looking at Rev in New York and I said, they said, how long will this take? You know, I basically said five to 10 years, not really having a forecast, but simply assuming that that seems like a reasonable amount of time that nobody can hold, to, hold you to it. But again, what, what I think happens is you do hit a tipping point and we've, we've hit it here. So there's no stopping uh, the transformation. And what the, the um, despite the industry talking about it, uh, I do feel like we're not moving as quickly as we need to to be ahead of this change so that we can uh, make sure that it happens in a way that's seamless for uh, individuals so that you know, the concerns that I have are around are, are we prepared to make the investments that are necessary? The challenge 
and it is a substantial challenge that I think um, the industry and, and governments haven't quite grappled with is that when we exit some of these large central station power plants, they produce a huge amount of energy for the system. And that has to be replaced. A lot of these plants are retiring because they're just aged. And there's some things we saw in New York around aging uh, nuclear. It's very similar. And we have to be prepared that for the resources that come in, they're very different than the resources that are leaving, and they require different types of network capability, and that has to be addressed in advance, not after the fact. The other piece that I think is um, very critical to recognize is that as you look at more distributed energy resources, even when with population growth, and population growth in Australia is much greater than it is in the U.S., and economic growth, because the um, we're just generally more efficient users of energy, we're, we're seeing here, as we're seeing in the U.S., not a lot of demand growth. And that means that you're replacing old infrastructure with new infrastructure off of a slowing or reducing demand profile. And that is going to have a price effect if we continue to price things as we always have. So those types of things, I'm not sure that people are absolutely grasping in the industry yet. The pace of change and the implications on prices when you have to put in new infrastructure. The third piece that I think uh, the industry, that we talk about it, is around digitalization. And I know um, NIPA, New York Power Authority, has done a significant amount of work, and I applaud them because they are true leaders in the area. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that using advanced technologies, AI, things like that, the amount of data that we have to use now to manage the power system compared to before, we, you know, you think about it for Australia, it's only it's 26 million people, and in the you know the the national energy market, um, we've gone from 30 odd generators to form you know two million various devices to potentially four million devices that we're actually actively having to use to manage the power system. You need a much different operating system to manage that type of resource than you did when you were just managing large-scale generators. So all of those things, I think, are certainly are tangible challenges that we're grappling with, but I, I don't see that conversation in the press, that these are, this is a phenomenal change for this industry beyond just the fuel type. And um, the less politics we put into it and the more conversation around what are the real problems that have to be solved and how do we go about solving it, I think should be the really the focus of all, all the industry, both you know, industry players, government, and policymakers. Do you think uh, that with the, the pace of change coming faster to Australia, that more in the United States, your former colleagues and state regulatory agencies around the United States, utility executives, might want to come over and, and view Australia as a, a test bed or, or laboratory? And uh, is there any way in your mind to formalize that of trying to bring folks over and have more collaboration? Yeah, I think that would be a fantastic idea. As a matter of fact, um, we are actually hosting a conference in, in November, and we're bringing in, this is more academics from um, around the world who are coming here to talk about markets of the future. 
but we're also actually working closely with NREL today, and I'm hoping and to have a, another conference here in, in the um, our fall, your spring, uh, to talk about what are the technical challenges. And we do at a at a technical level, we do court, we do work a lot, but I think. Uh, and I know our regulators uh, are part of the international regulatory groups, but we, I do feel like there's a lot to learn here, and there's a lot to learn from each other. This is, uh, I would say that you know, no, no particular jurisdiction has all the answers. We're all looking at various pieces of this elephant we're all trying to uh, deal with. But I think you know, certainly what Australia can add is the... Uh, the technical understanding, and then the I think very quickly you'll see us doing uh, work around integration of distributed resources in a in a much more seamless way than um, elsewhere. And I think that will be important. And the other aspect is creating uh, these essential services and better markets for um, moving away from really the sort of an energy focus to an essential service focus. Will be I think will. Very in the next several years, I'm really um, we're working on it, and I think there'll be something that will really change the nature of the markets in the future. This might sound too simplistic. Some utilities are are even thinking of offering an essential service with a flat rate. Uh, do you think that might be part of this transition to to get away from a volumetric kind of business model? Oh, I I think we have to. I mean, uh, you know, when you think about what we're saying. There's, it is much more around, uh, if particularly for us, you know, when, when people put solar on their roof, unless um, they totally go off grid, they're still, re- they're still relying on the grid. And volumetric pipe pricing just doesn't make sense in that context. So we, we do need to relook at that and move to essentially the type of pricing you see on the internet, et cetera, for other really fixed assets. I think that's going to be important, and that, you know, and I know there's a lot of good thinking, which is why I think exchanges are good ideas because um, collaboration is is really critical because and and being open to hearing how others are solving it is is the way we could be all be most much more successful. Okay. Um, on a personal note, what's what's been the most exciting, enjoyable part of being in a totally new part of the world? No, well, it's you know, first of all, it's a lovely country it's um and that's that's been a lot of fun and then uh secondly um i guess you know meeting lots of new friends has been a fantastic opportunity i think it's rare that you get at my age i came over here when i was 60 uh to get a chance to to really relook at the world from a different perspective and and that's been a terrific time and then the other piece is i met a great guy so that's always fun too great well, thanks for talking to us, Audrey, and uh, I really appreciate the update. Thanks. See you. Bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, and thanks to our guest, Audrey Zippelman, for sharing insights about changes in the global electric industry. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, check out our next installment, Mary Powell and the Vermont Energy Revolution, which features Green Mountain Power CEO Mary Powell, who talks about how utilities can break out of a paralysis culture and spur a consumer-led revolution on carbon. 
You can give us feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov slash gridtalk. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.